0: Stories, fables,
1: ghostly tales. Welcome listeners to your remastered old-time radio episode, just for your lovely ears. The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes and the Ever-Flustered Watson. Our first episode is The Strange Case of the Demon Barber, and your second episode is The Indirection of Mr. Edwards. The Demon Barber tale is all about madness, murder, and self paranoia. Whilst, in direction of Mr. Edwards, well, involves subterfuge, sneakiness, and a whole lot of Watson well, being silly old Watson. I can't reveal more than that. Now, folks, you might not be able to hear it, but it is pouring down here in WA. It's bonkers. So, I'll only be doing the intro today for fear of power outages. As I record this nightly, I want to ensure I have enough time to upload without fear of losing the power to do so. So a huge thank you to my old night tea titan, Maya, Queen of the Cats, a big thank you to my two white tea warlords, Leza Bauer and Paige Kramer, and a big thank you to my ill grey enforcers, Chad Warren, Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Ruffelli, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, Tea Time Drinker 1, and Divided by Zero as well as my censure supporters who put the pep in my step every episode. To put it in perspective of how bad the weather is, we had to cancel a birthday party today because of it. So yeah, it's crazy. Now folks, see you Wednesday for a different set of tales. And as always, till next we meet.
2: patri Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invites you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective Sherlock Holmes. You know, the lives of Holmes and Watson were not always filled with action. They spent many a quiet evening at home in Baker Street, discussing the problems of the world over a glass of port. You know, it seems that no wine is more expressive of friendship and hospitality than port. And I'm sure there's no port wine more enjoyable than Petri California port. Try a good glass of Petri port after dinner some evening, or any time you get together with your friends. You'll love the rich, ruby-red color of that Petri port. You'll love its smoothness and full body. It's remarkable and wonderful flavor. A flavor that comes straight from the heart of luscious, hand-picked grapes. Serve that Petri port alone or serve it together with cake or cookies or with fruit. Yes, and serve it proudly. You can because the name Petri is the proudest name in the history of American wines. And now I'm sure our old friend Dr. Watson's expecting us. Let's tap on his study door. Come in, come in. Come in. Good evening, Doctor.
3: Good evening, Mr. Bartell. Come over here by the fire. I was just having a cup of coffee. Would you care to join
2: me? Thanks, that'd be nice. It'll oh, prevent you falling asleep during my story tonight. <laughs> There's no chance of that, Doctor. From the hints you gave us last week, it sounded like quite a story. It began in a circus in Paris, you told us? Yes, my boy, the circus.
3: Colorful world of sawdust and spangles. A world, Mr. Bartell, that I may tell you confidentially, always held an irresistible fascination for me when I was a youngster.
2: Me too, Doctor. In
3: fact, when I was eight years old, I fell desperately in love with a with a lady bareback rider, a stunning creature who wore pink silk tights with gold sequins on them. Unfortunately, my mother caught me writing her proposal of marriage, and I'm afraid that uh, well, it's another story, and one that you probably. Wouldn't find very interesting.
2: (laughs) I'm sure I would, Doctor, but I think it would be safer to stick to your Sherlock Holmes story. Yes, you're
3: probably right, my boy. Well, it was a winter in the 1890s, and Holmes and I were in Paris. On our second day there, Holmes suggested we attend that night's performance of the Cirque Royale. Needless to remark, I was delighted, Mr. Bartell. And shortly after nine o'clock that night, I found myself seated beside Holmes in a box near the ringside. It was an incredibly vivid scene, even for that city of colour and light. The gay costumes of the women and the gaudy trappings of the ringmasters and clowns looked like a giant kaleidoscope under the blazing glare of the arc lamps. As we sat there, a brass band nearby blared forth some popular music of the day, and yet he didn't appear to be enjoying himself. And so I leaned across and touched his arm. What is it, Watson? Well, you're very quiet, Holmes. Aren't you having a good time? A good time,
4: I suppose, old chap. I was just wondering where Mr. Edwards is. Mr. Edwards? Who, who's he? An extremely distinguished client who was to meet us in this box at nine oh, o'clock.
3: Clients. Oh, client. This little excursion was
4: on business after all, yes. I might have known it. No, worry, old fellow. In your case, I think you'll be able to combine quite a little pleasure with the business. Well,
3: can't you be a little more explicit, Holmes? Shh.
4: Here comes the ringmaster. <laughs> J'ai l'heure de vous présenter ce soir la grande vedette du cirque, Mademoiselle
3: Giselle Girondé équestrienne incomparable. Giselle grande, yes, I've heard of her. She's a bareback rider, isn't she? Honest huh? in France, old fellow.
4: She also has quite a reputation as a femme fatale. Three jewels have been fought over her. A young English officer in the Grenadier Guards committed suicide last year because of her. And a famous French banker is at present languishing in prison because her extravagances drove him to appropriate funds that did not belong to him. Yes, Watson. She's an extremely colourful personality.
3: You know, Holmes, it's a funny thing. When I was eight years old, I fell violently in love with a lady bareback rider. She wore pink silk tights with golden sequins on them, but uh, unfortunately... Yes, she is, Yes, said... she is. Look at the way she's jumping from the back of one horse to the other. Sheer poetry of motion. The lady appeals to Watson. By George, yes, indeed she does. In fact, Holmes, I don't mind telling you that if I weren't a married man and a yeah, poor man... You'd like man,
4: to court the lady, eh? Uh, yes, I,
3: I should Excellent,
4: indeed. Daughter, Excellent. That's the very reason for our attendance at the well, What in
3: heaven's name are you talking about, Holmes? Well,
4: ah, there you are. Good evening, Mr. Edwards.
3: Holmes, my dear fellow, how are you? I haven't seen
4: you since, uh, Since that little affair at Windsor Castle, when Mother... Uh, Excuse me, sir. I am Mr. Mycroft, and this is my friend, uh, Sir William Nigel.
3: William Nigel?
5: Of course, of course. And I am Mr. Edwards. We must uh, respect each other's incognitoes, eh? How do you do, Sir William?
3: Oh... Well, I am extremely honoured to meet you,
5: your, your royal uh, 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 Mr. Edwards. How would you like Giselle? Isn't she a stunning creature? Yes, sir.
4: indeed she is. The four of us to have supper together after the performance tonight. I understand, Mr. Edwards.
5: Well, unfortunately, I can't be there, Mycroft. There's some stupid affair at the embassy which I have to attend. We must postpone the dinner until tomorrow night. Oh, very well, sir. Uh, come over to my hotel a little early, and we can discuss the whole business. Personally, I think a lot of fuss is being made about nothing. Now, if you'll excuse me, gentlemen, I must go back and see Giselle for a moment and tell her that I can't keep our appointment for tonight. I'll see you tomorrow, Mycroft. Good night, sir William.
3: Good night. Good night. Uh, good night, Holmes.
4: sir. And maintenant, for votre plaisir. Les frères Salini, les jongleurs internationales. Holmes, what's
3: all this mystery? That wasn't Mr. Edwards, it was the Princess. Of- what's
4: Discretion discretion, Discretional fellow. Mr. Edwards, as you know, is extremely democratic. Too much so, possibly. When one considers his position and responsibilities... he's become quite seriously involved with Mademoiselle Giselle... the lady bareback rider who has just left the ring. Ah, oh, so that's it. The Foreign Office, quite naturally, I suppose, is deeply concerned over the matter. And I've been entrusted with the delicate mission of protecting Mr. Edwards.
3: Oh, does Giselle Gironde know that his true identity, you suppose?
4: That's the first thing that we have to find out. It's possible that she is simply captivated by having a rich Englishman at her feet. If, on other hand, she knows who Mr. Edwards is then we may be in for a great deal of trouble. Yes, but how, how are you going to find that out? Uh... By tempting her with a richer Englishman, and one with a title. That, my dear fellow, is why you are Sir William Nigel.
3: You mean that uh, Your I... job, old I... fellow,
4: is to do your utmost to steal Giselle Gironde from Mr. Edwards. But, uh, well, I, uh, I don't even know the girl. We shall remedy that defect in a few minutes. As soon as the performance is over, my dear chap, I shall take you to her dressing room and arrange an introduction.
3: I must say, Holmes, the backstage life at a circus is even more colorful than in the ring. What makes oh. you
4: say that, old fellow?
3: Well, I just saw a pinhead having tea with a, a bearded lady while a sword-swallower was standing behind him practicing his act.
4: Oh, hello. Is that man standing talking to the girl in tights? Yeah, exactly, isn't he? Uh, the gentleman is Inspector Bernay of the French police, an old friend and a distant relative of mine. Bernay, how
6: are you? Ah, Holmes, oh, mon cher ami, comment <transferhés> no, no, ça va? No. No, no,
4: no. Bernay, please. On this occasion, my name is Mycroft, if you don't mind. And this is my friend, Sir William Nigel. How
6: do you do, Inspector? Enchanté, Sir William. Uh, permit me to introduce Mademoiselle Yvette Mara.
7: How do you do? How do you do, Madame?
6: Uh, what brings you behind the scenes at the circus, may I ask, Monsieur
4: Mycroft? Uh, my friend Sir William is most anxious to make the acquaintance of Mademoiselle Girondet.
7: But of course, every man wishes to meet Giselle Girondet. Why we'll not ask Birnay. he will present you to her. In other
6: way. Oh, now, bet, chérie, do not begin that all over again. You are in love with
7: her. You have always been in love with her. I, I wish she were dead. Sometimes I... Sometimes I think I could kill her myself.
3: <laughs> Pardon my soul, Inspector. She's a fiery
6: little thing, isn't she? Ah, ça, c'est vrai, Sir, <laughs> sir William. <laughs> Many times I've told her that Giselle Gironde would never waste her time with a simple police inspector. Uh, she prefers a wealthy foreigner. But Yvette ne comprends
4: pas. She does not understand and she does not believe. Mamazon Marat was dressed in tights, And What does she do in the circus? Uh, she walks the tightrope. Oh, She's yes.
6: a queen of the high wire. Mm-hmm. A charming and a talented girl, but a most, most, most jealous
4: one. Uh, Verne, my distinguished friend, Sir William Nigel, is most anxious to meet Giselle Girondet. Uh, will you introduce him? I should prefer not to appear on the matter of this stage. Oh, oh Mr. Tenmont, I, I will take you to her dressing room. Uh, please come with me, Sir William. All yeah, right, I'll, I'll see you later, home. I'll be waiting for you, old chap. Good luck.
6: Hey, you're a lucky man, Sir William. Giselle has quite a penchant for the Englishmen. And when they're rich and have a title, I'm sure she finds them irresistible. <laughs> you think so? Oh, but of course. Ah, quel dommage that I'm only a poor policeman. Ah, hey, here we are. Entrez. Giselle Monchoux, permit me to present to you Sir William Nigel. He's a great admirer of yours.
3: Yes, indeed, madam.
7: Ah, Sir William Nigel. Go Come and sit here beside me, Sir William.
6: Uh, I uh, shall leave you. Au revoir. Uh,
7: sit closer. There. That is much more cozy, no? Oh,
3: uh, nice of you to see me, mademoiselle,
7: Gironde. <laughs> oh, don't be so formal, my Englishman. You may call me Giselle, and I shall call you let me see, I shall call you Sir William. Willie! I shall call you Willie! You do not mind? <laughs>
3: Mine! I'm delightful. Quite delightful, my dear. I was hoping, perhaps, that you care to have a little little supper with me tonight, Giselle. <laughs> uh, so what about some, some oysters, a cold pheasant, and a bottle or two of Pomeran Green 072? I taste it tastes rather
7: well, don't you think? <laughs> oh, Willie, I can see you are perfect toast. <laughs> oh, host. I don't know about One that. One moment, i get my
3: clock. Uh, well, you, you know, Giselle... <laughs> Things. What is a
7: funny thing, Willie? When I was eight
3: years old, I fell violently in love with a lady bareback rider at a circus. History seems to be repeating itself. Here!
7: Alfio Alfieri, do you no longer knock when you come to my door?
3: Who is this man? My name is Nigel, Sir William Nigel, my good man. And who may you be? I am Alfio Alfieri.
7: I am Alfio Alfieri. And what is he? Ha. A trainer of wild animals. An ambitious.
3: You must not speak to all on that way. You belong to me. Send this stupid Englishman away.
7: find it impudent. Grossier. Belong to you. Giselle sais, belong to no one. Do
3: I have to take my whip uh, to put you? Put down that way. Put it down, you scoundrel. <coughs> <coughs> Next time it will be your face. <coughs> you you infernal blackguard. Raising your hand against a woman. Shocking.
7: Labeau! Monsieur Willy has knocked him down. Uh, he certainly deserved it. Oui. And... Um, You in turn deserve something, really? Oh, what was that? Come close, really, and I give it to you. A little kiss? No, (laughs) kiss? Thank you. You are so strong, so resolute, so brave. Oh, it was nothing, my dear Giselle.
3: Nothing at all here. More bon champagne. More bon champagne. Oh, Willie! Really?
5: Giselle?
7: Oui, Monsieur Edwards?
5: I have a box for the opera tomorrow night. I was hoping that perhaps... Oh,
7: I'm sorry, Monsieur, but my time is occupied. I am showing the delights of Montmartre, Monsieur Willie.
4: Mademoiselle est le collier de perles à cinq rangs ou celui à trois rangs.
7: He says, which do I prefer, the five-string-collar pearls or the three-string-collar pearls? What does my really think?
3: So that you can't hang too many pearls on a pretty neck like yours. I'll take the five-string collar, my good fellow.
4: You're doing splendidly, Watson, splendidly. Yes,
3: but Holmes, I felt such a blasted fool handing that jeweler fellow a check. Signed by Sir William Nigel. Are you quite sure that it'll oh, be honoured? Oh,
4: don't it? worry, old fellow. Remember who our client is. Money is the least important concern in this matter. On with the masquerade, old fellow. On with the masquerade.
3: More champagne, Gossel.
7: <laughs> Willie, you are such a headstrong boy.
3: <laughs> more champagne. <laughs> no, you dear little thing! Oh,
4: really? <laughs> Good evening, Bernet. Has Mademoiselle Girondet come into the evening
6: performance yet? Yes, Monsieur Holmes. I escorted her to her dressing room half an hour ago. Uh, Monsieur Edwards is in there with her now. At last, it seems, she has used for a poor policeman. Last night, she found a threatening letter on her makeup table. Since then, she has been most grateful for my company. A threatening letter, eh? Any idea who might have sent it? Oh, yes, of course. I'm afraid I have, Mr. Holmes. I, I told her to pay no attention. Uh, by the perfume of the notepaper, I recognized the sender. A jealous tightrope walker called Yvette Marat. Oh, <laughs> poor Yvette. She would make a very inferior criminal, I'm afraid. Still, Giselle asked me to stay outside her dressing room till the performance starts. Uh, uh, you wish to see her? Uh, yes. Oh, good evening, Mr. Redwood. Good evening, Mycroft. Evening, Inspector Verne. Uh, Comment ça va, Mr. Edwards.
5: Look here, Mycroft, I think this little game's gone far enough. Giselle has just refused another invitation of mine. Now, I know who Sir William Nigel is, and I swear I'll tell her. Uh,
4: don't you think, sir, that the lady is hardly worth bothering about? Surely this whole incident with Sir William proves that she's a scheming little adventuress a fictitious title and... An apparently bottomless purse have shown her up in her two colors. <laughs> I could have told you the same thing without such an experiment, my friend.
5: Well, I suppose you're right, Mycroft, I've been a
6: fool. An idiot who lets a pretty ankle turn his head, a conceited dolt. <laughs> <laughs> Let us just say, monsieur, that you have been a man.
3: Uh, good evening, sir, oh, good, hello, evening. good evening. Uh, just going back to see Giselle for a moment, I brought her these flowers for her. Oh, I'll be back in a jiffy. Uh, just
4: a minute, Watson. I... Uh... I hate to dampen your ardor, old chap, but uh, the masquerade is ended.
3: Ended? What what do you mean, it's. It is no longer
4: necessary
5: for you to impersonate Sir William Nigel or to pay court to Giselle. Oh, really?
3: Oh, really? Really? Well, that's that's a great relief, sir. Great relief.
4: I've hated the whole business. Oh, yes, yes, I'm sure you have. Uh, We um, appreciate the sacrifices that you've made, don't we, Sir Edward?
3: Yes, yes, indeed. Well, I must go back and see her once more, though. We had a rendezvous for tonight, and I must cancel it. A gentlemanly thing to do, you know. I, I will be a
6: minute. <laughs> Never have I seen a man more downcast. Obviously with him,
4: my dear Holmes, business was a pleasure. Alfieri, where are you going? Not the Englishman. I just saw him go into Giselle's room. From whom are you referring? That man that called himself Sir William Nigel. Uh. Two days ago he strike me. I have to settle with him. No man may strike Alfieri.
6: Do not cause any more trouble, Alfieri. From what I've been told... You thoroughly deserved what happened uh, to you.
4: here he come now. You English, you! I'll surely he challenge you to a duel. Holmes! Holmes! What's no chap, what is it? You're as a ghost. It's, it's Giselle. What's wrong with but her? She's dead. She's lying there in her
6: dressing room. Strangled, strangled. Strangled. And only half an hour ago I spoke with her myself. Since then I've been standing in this corridor, guarding her door at her own request. Only two men have entered Giselle's dressing room since then. You, Monsieur Edwards, and you, Sir William Nigel. What are you suggesting, Virginie? I am suggesting nothing. I am stating that these two gentlemen are under arrest for suspicion of murder.
2: Dr. Watson's unusual story will continue in just a few seconds. Well, Dr. Watson, so you and the mysterious uh, Mr. Edwards got yourselves arrested on suspicion of murder. Huh?
3: Yes, Mr. Bartell. Holmes did everything in his power to persuade Inspector Vernet to release us, but it was useless. And so, while Mr. Edwards and myself were languishing in detention cells at the local Sorte, Holmes and the French Inspector were examining the dressing
0: room
4: of the dead woman. I'm, sh- I'm sure, Inspector Vernet, that. Uh... Being as keen a detective as you are, you must suspect the true identity of Mr. Edwards. Of
6: course, Monsieur Holmes. But that is the danger of incognitos. If he chooses to assume the identity of play Monsieur Edwards, then he must run the risks of play Monsieur And you are convinced
4: that either he or my friend strangled Mademoiselle Gironde? It is obvious. Then I'll have to prove to you that they didn't. Let me examine the body again, will you? If she had been strangled by either of my friends, why would her body be lying here under the window? as far away from the door by which they left this room as possible. That proves nothing. No, but it's odd.
6: Giselle was a strong girl. Uh, There might easily have been a struggle. Uh, Perhaps she tried to get away through the window. And yet there are no marks of
4: violence on her throat. Just this piece of very fine cord that did its deadly work so cleanly. (laughs) Cut for the
6: knife. Uh, Please do not remove the cord, Monsieur Holmes. The body has not yet been photographed.
4: You're making it very hard for me, aren't you? Uh, You notice, of course, that the window is open. Yes, but we have
6: examined the snow outside. There were no footprints within three yards of the window. The murderer must have entered by the door that I was watching. Yes, it would be hard, even
4: for a professional acrobat to jump in. An acrobat? Tell me your young friend, Mademoiselle Yvette Marat, is a tightrope walker. Yvette, but. Yes, she certainly had a motive. She'd even sent a threatening letter. I heard her express hatred and jealousy for this dead woman. It's conceivable that she could enter. A room by a window without leaving footprints in the snow. Where was she at the time of the murder? I do not know. I was waiting for her in the corridor. I suggest that we investigate her alibi at once. And after that, Inspector, I must pay a visit to the Surte. I don't want my friends to think that I've deserted them. Excuse me, sir. Yes, Holmes. I'm afraid it looks rather black. As I was telling you, Yvette Marat, the tightrope walker, was able to establish completely satisfactory alibi. Verne still suspects you or Dr. Watson? Well, that's ridiculous. May I ask you a very straightforward question, sir? Of course. I can well understand that if you had gone into the dressing room and found the woman already murdered, you might easily be tempted to conceal the fact to avoid a scandal involving your person. Will you swear to me, sir, on your true identity? That Giselle was alive when you left her. She was, Holmes. I swear it. Thank you, sir. That's all I wanted to know.
3: Holmes, I'm glad to see you. You know, I've been thinking. All this depends on Verne's evidence. But supposing he was a murderer... He told us that Giselle had turned him down, you know.
4: I'd thought of that, but Mr. Edward swears that Giselle was alive when he left the room. And yet that means that Mr. Edward... Oh, no, 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 it's unthinkable. Holmes, you're not suggesting... Holmes, if I thought that
3: that were possible, I'd confess to the murder myself. My life wouldn't matter. If, if it'd save us scandal like that, great Scott, it'd, it'd shatter the empire.
4: Dear old Watson, you shall not sacrifice yourself. You're as valuable a British institution as the lion himself. No, my dear fellow. It will never sacrifice you, not while my mind is still capable of... My mind. That's it. Thank you, Watson. You've given me the answer. Holmes, what are you burbling be about Be patient, now? old fellow. In half an hour, you'll be out of this cell and the real murderer will be in it.
3: <laughs> questions. Questions.
4: Why must Alfieri answer so many questions? Because he will not yet tell the truth. You murdered Giselle Gironde. How many times I have to tell you I did not kill her. Why should I want to arm her? Because you were jealous. Because she humiliated and tormented you. But I was
0: not in her dressing
3: room. I've already proved that fact. Am I a magician that I can
4: kill somebody without entering a room? Altieri, I know how you killed Giselle Girondet without its necessitating your entering this room. Uh, You're a smart man, Please to tell me. I don't need to tell you. With the aid of Vernet, I'll show you. Open the window, Alphieri. Uh, what game is this? Very well, then, I'll open the window myself. Put your head out. Come on. So. Uh. Who do you see? Inspector Verne? standing three yards away where you stood, and he's got your long training whip. No! No! Don't move! Stand there. The inspector hasn't your skill with a whip, but he wants to try a little experiment. No, leave him alone! All right, I'm holding him! Oh! Ah!
3: Mr. Edward, I mean, well, sir, this is a pleasant change from a prison cell, isn't it? <laughs> it
5: certainly is. Holmes, I can't tell you how grateful I am. I still don't
4: quite understand how you did it. Watson, in uh, rather a roundabout way, was responsible for giving me the clue. Oh,
3: how was that, Holmes?
4: Well, on more than one occasion, old chap, I've had cause to deploy your rather florid style of writing. Tonight, I was very thankful for it. Uh, when I began to speak of the capabilities of my mind... Uh, Suddenly I remembered a phrase of yours in which you referred to uh, its whip-like rapidity and accuracy. That, of course, made me think of Alfieri, the animal trainer. Exactly how did he kill the poor girl? Well, sir, he stood outside the window, uh, far enough away to leave no incriminating footprints. Called to Giselle, probably persuaded her to lean out, then... Snapped the whip around her neck, pulling it tight and strangling her. And then I suppose he cut the cord and let the body fall back into the room. Precisely, old fellow. We found a whip stock among his tackle—a whip stock from which the lash had been cut. The stub of lash left matched the cord around the dead girl's throat. Amazing business. And I don't mind telling you, fellas, I'm. Very thankful
3: to be through with it. Yes, so am I, sir. In fact, I wouldn't be at all surprised if this whole incident cures me of my love of circuses. Oh,
5: I didn't know you had a predilection in that direction, Watson. Oh,
4: oh, oh yes, sir. Yes, you don't mind my saying, so. Uh, uh, when he was eight years old, he fell in love with a lady bareback rider. Didn't you, once? <laughs> Indeed. What happened?
3: Well, sir, I, I don't remember her name, but she wore pink silk tights with the golden sequins on them. And I wrote her a rather hot-headed letter... Unfortunately,
2: my mother... And now I'm sure our good friend Dr. Watson's waiting for us. Let's go enjoy. Ah,
3: there you are, Mr. Bartell.
2: Good evening, Doctor. All alone tonight, huh?
3: Yes, my boys. You can call a man alone when he's got his pipe, his books, and a glass of good port at his elbow. Take your coat off. for and enjoyment. Thanks, Doctor. Help yourself to the port. There's some rather special tobacco in the jar over there.
2: Fine. And... Uh... Now, Doctor, are you ready to tell us tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure? I am,
3: Mr. Bartell, and I think you'll find it a most unusual story. It began on a winter's night in 1896. Holmes and I had gone to a theatre in the east end of London to see a performance of a famous old English melodrama called
2: Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. <laughs> That's a good bloodthirsty title, Doctor. Demon Barber. He sounds as though he specialized in close shaves.
3: Good gracious me, Mr. Bartell, that's, that's almost unforgivable. <laughs> he was a murderer of voracious appetite who placed his victims in a specially constructed barber's chair, cut their throats, and then pressed the lever that would swing the chair over and encamp the unfortunate victim into a horrible cellar beneath his shop.
2: This is only a stage play you're talking about, Doctor.
3: As my story begins, we were seated in a private box watching one of the closing scenes. Holmes was leaning forward in his chair, following the action on the stage with an obvious delight. While I sat beside him equally in grove. an actor by the name of Mark Humphreys was playing the part of Sweeney Todd, and no one could deny that he was
0: playing it. Where are you going, Tobias? you the nearest magistrate, Sweeney Todd. To denounce you as a queen, cruel, cold-blooded murderer! You have pronounced your doom. Into the chair with you, and over and down into the depths
8: below!
7: Ha ha
5: ha! There. Say, whence comes this apparition? Tis the ghost of another customer of mine. The yawning grave reels up his ghastly inmates to prove me guilt. Dead will have
0: Dud. See, he is there. He comes to accuse me of his murder. Oh, save me! T'was not I that slew you. Let me leave,
5: or it will kill me. Let me leave! Ha!
3: <laughs> oh, upon my soul, Holmes, that fellow Mark Humphreys is the most florid actor. ...that I've ever seen on a stage.
4: I find him enchanting, Watson. It seems to me he's really caught the flavour of this murderous monster piece. After all, a restrained performance of a barber Sweeney Tart would be unthinkable.
3: Yes, I suppose it would. I must say, his make seems rather overdone. No barber would wear such an enormous beard. It'd be most impractical. Probably get in the customer's faces. By the way, um, I noticed from the programme that Mark Humphreys, as well as being the principal actor is also the owner of the
4: company. Yes, the current trend towards the actor-manager is a very healthy sign, I think. Come in. Excuse me, but is one of you gentlemen Mr. Sherlock Holmes? Yes, I am. Oh, I was asked to give you this note. Thank you. Now, who on earth knows that you're at the theatre, Holmes? We'll soon find out. Ah, this note is from Mark Humphrey, our actor-manager.
0: What's it
4: say? Dear yeah, Mr. Holmes, I recognize you in your box. Please come to my dressing room after the performance My sanity, and even the safety of London, perhaps, depends on your compliance. Oh,
3: my sanity and the safety of London.
4: I wonder what on earth he means. That, my dear fellow, we can only discover by going backstage to meet him, as it is the curtains going up in the last scene I see. For a little longer, we must possess our souls in patience.
5: Mr. Sherlock Holmes? Yes, sir? Oh, my name is Lindsay, Derek Lindsay. I'm the business manager. Mr. Humphreys asked me to meet you at the stage door, take you to his dressing oh, room. Thank
4: you very much. And This is my colleague, Dr. Watson. How do you do? Oh, mm-hmm. how are you, doctor? Uh, will, you, will you follow me, please? Excuse me asking, Mr. Lindsay, but surely you must be related to that distinguished actor of some years back, Lytton Lindsay. Oh, he was my father, Mr. Holmes. Ah, indeed. The resemblance is extraordinary. With
8: such
3: a heritage, Mr. Lindsay, you must love the theatre. <laughs> It'll probably sound like
5: heresy, but I hate it. <laughs> However, it's the only thing I was trained for, and there's good money to be made in it, sometimes. And money's the thing I both like and want. Oh, Mr. Holmes, I do hope you'll be able to help Mark Humphreys. He certainly needs it.
3: Oh, know What seems to be his trouble?
5: he'll have to tell you that for himself. But his wife and I think... There's Mrs. Humphreys now. Maria! Maria, this is Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Mrs. Mark Humphreys. How do
8: you do? Oh, Mr. Holmes, I'm so grateful that you're going to see Mark. He's in such a dreadful state. There have been times lately when, when Mr. Lindsay and I have been afraid he's going out of his mind. Haven't we, dear?
4: Indeed we have. We're both dreadfully worried about it. In that case, I hope I can be of service, which is his dressing room.
8: Number one, next door to mine. Derek, I think it'll be better if Mr. Holmes and Dr. Watson go in alone. I'm sure Mark will speak more freely if we're not in the room. I
4: think perhaps that is a good idea, Mrs. Humphreys. We'll see you later on. Come on, fellow. Come in,
5: come in. Dr. Holmes, thank heaven you're here. Close the door. Uh, Mr. Humphreys, uh, this is Dr. Watson. Watson, eh? Yes, I I know of you, too. How do you do, sir? Sit down, won't you, gentlemen? You're wondering why I asked you to come back and see me, of course. Naturally, sir. Well, I won't beat about the bush and waste your time. I come straight to the point. I'm going mad.
0: Oh, come on. I know, I know. It sounds
5: fantastic, but it's true. I've often heard of actors beginning to live that's off the stage. They play on it. Well, it's happened to me. I'm turning into another Sweeney Todd. The character I'm portraying on the stage. Are you
4: suggesting, sir, that you're a potential
5: murderer? Yes, I am. What reason do you have for holding that belief? Reason? Listen to this. Three times in the past week, I've wakened in the morning to find my boots
4: covered with mud and my razor stained with blood. God, You've had no recollection of any untoward events during the night? None.
3: Have you ever been addicted to the unfortunate habit of sleepwalking, sir? Not to my knowledge, doctor. And if I had been... Surely
4: my uh, wife would have told me about your it. Your wife? Mm. Uh, where do you live, Mr. Humphreys? We uh, have a flat here, about the theatre. Above the theatre, eh? And Mr. Humphreys, you say that on three separate occasions, on in the morning, you have found a blood-stained razor and mud-covered boots. Can you show us this proof?
5: No, no, I can't. I was always so frightened that my wife would see that I, I cleaned them before she had the opportunity of finding them.
3: It is yes, It would have been very valuable clues in a case like I this. I
5: couldn't risk my wife seeing evidence like that, doctor. She'd know the truth. But at night times. While she's asleep, some devilish, unconscious urge has overcome me. An urge that causes me to prowl the streets of London. Razor in hand, looking for a victim. Mr. Holmes, you've got to help me. I'm certain that without knowing it, I've been committing murder, and if you
4: don't help me, I'll go on and on. Shh, Mr. Humphrey, please. I'll undertake the case. It's a very unique assignment, in effect. I'm being engaged by a possible murderer to prove him guilty. <laughs>
0: Well, Mr. Holmes, I've been through all the records we have here at Scotland Yard. What well, have you found, Inspector Gregson? In the last two months, we haven't had one case of an unsolved killing with a razor. Any mysterious disappearances, Inspector? <laughs> Bless your you, heart, Doctor, there's never a day that passes without one or two of them.
4: Here's a list of them, Mr. Holmes, if it's any use to you. Thanks. Come on, Watson. In the morning, we can go back to the theatre and set our friend's mind at I'm Much obliged to you, Gregson. Glad to be a service, Mr. Holmes. I examined the homicide records at Scotland Yard after leaving you last night, Mr. Humphrey. There have been no unsolved razor murders in London during the past fortnight.
3: And therefore, I think you may rest easy on that score, sir. But it proves nothing.
5: Remember that in the plays, Sweeney Todd's victims are never found either. Yes,
4: thanks to his singularly horrible ingenuity in disposing of them. But this is real life, Mr. Humphrey. Then how do you account for the bloodied razors
5: and the muddied
3: boots? Well, now, uh, are you sure that they aren't just in your imagination, sir? You admit that your wife's never seen them? The whole thing could be, or shall we say, an overdose of uh,
5: of Queenie tar? Well, I admit that I'm suffering from a surfeit of that. And why not drop the play from your repertoire? Our manager, Derek Lindsay, won't let me. He's our best moneymaker. He's always got a keen eye to business. Mr. Holmes, I can see that you still don't believe my story. So I've saved some evidence for you, evidence that I found this
3: morning. Look at
5: these. Now what do you say? You still think it's my
3: imagination? a large stained razor and boots covered with mud. Splendid.
5: At last, some real clues to work How on. can you be so calm, Holmes? It happened again last night. Do you realize that I'm a murderer? I'm a menace to society? For
4: heaven's sake, lock me up before I do some more no, damage. No, no, no,
3: no, no, sir. Don't get too excited. Mr.
4: Humphreys, I should like to take these objects back to Baker Street where I can perform some chemical tests. You have no objections, I hope. Objections? Good heavens, no. Excellent. You've told no one of this fresh discovery of yours. No one.
5: Not even Derek Lindsay.
3: Derek Lindsay, that's your manager, isn't
5: it? Yes. The best friend I ever had. Except for his father before him. It was Derek who helped me back on my feet. Two two, yes, two years ago when I put on that disastrous production of Macbeth. Then I'd be today, don't for him. You lost a great deal of money on that production, sir. Nearly every penny I had. Indeed.
4: By the way, uh, where is your wife, Mr. Humphrey? She's in her dressing next door. We... The matinees, Dave. I'd like a word with her. Uh, what's no old chap? Wait here for me, will you? I won't be a moment.
3: Uh, right door, home. Who is
8: it?
4: Sherlock Holmes.
8: You... Want to talk to me, Mr. Holmes?
4: For a moment. May I come in, Mrs. Humphreys?
8: Well, couldn't we talk on the stage? It's empty. I should
4: prefer to come into your dressing room, if you don't mind. What I have to say is confidential.
8: Very well, then. Come in. Mr. Holmes, may I introduce Signor Vinelli, our musical director? How do you do, sir?
0: It is a great honor to meet the so great, Signor Holmes. I have so admired you. Often I have envied you. Many times I say to myself, you Epstein... Signor Vanelli,
4: if you don't mind, I wish to speak to Mrs. Humphreys alone. Oh, I quite understand. Excuse me, signor.
8: Adios, para Maria. Mr. Holmes, I'm really awfully glad of this opportunity to talk to you. Tell me truthfully, please. What's your opinion of my husband?
4: I haven't formed a definite opinion yet, except that it's possible that he's the victim of a fraud. I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions, if you don't mind.
8: Of course not, Mr.
4: Holmes. Has your husband ever shown evidence of being a sleepwalker?
8: A sleepwalker? Oh, no, never.
4: I see. Are you a light sleeper?
8: Yes, I am. Exceptionally so. Right. Oh, just curious. You're being very mysterious, Mr. Holmes. Can't you tell even me what's going on? I
4: promise your husband the answer to that question before tonight's performance. I'm afraid I can't tell you any more until then.
8: Oh. And now may I ask a question?
4: Oh, certainly. No, I won't promise to answer it.
8: You said just now that my husband might be the victim of a fraud. What did you mean?
4: Again, I'm afraid that you must wait for the specific answer to that question. However, there's another fraud being practiced on him that I can speak of now. What fraud? The fraud that you are indulging in, Mrs. Humphrey. Uh, What do you mean? Of course, this particular fraud is none of my business, but um, when I almost force my way into your dressing room and find your musical director... A quantity of rice powder on one shoulder and suggestions of rouge on his cheek. It doesn't take a great deal of intelligence to deduce that your husband is being deceived.
8: Get out
4: of here, at once. That's exactly what I propose doing. Good day, you, madam. No doubt I shall see you later on.
3: Well, Holmes, what does the microscope tell you about the mud on the boots and the blood stains on the razor?
4: We're on a bank on the mud, old chap. In the common type that is found in most parts of London. And the blood? I'm examining that now.
3: This is the case as ever I remember, Holmes. Here you are trying to prove a man innocent when he insists that he's guilty. Why, George Watson? Here's the
4: answer. What? This blood is definitely not human blood, it's probably canine. Now, a Sweeney Todd madness would hardly drive its victim to kill dogs. Therefore, it's obvious that Mark Humphreys is the victim of a devilish plot. And he's not a murderer. No, come on, old fellow. Let's go to the theatre at once and give him the good news. Well, of isn't the answer. Three quarters of an hour, probably, time. It oh, must be in his dressing room. I'll knock again. Come on, Watson, let's go in.
3: Holmes, oh, look. Look, he's thumped over his dressing table. Oh, I hope
4: we're not too late. Here, give me a hand with him.
3: We are too late. His throat's been cut.
4: Poor devil. I promised him a solution to his troubles before the night was over. Little did I think that the solution would be... Death. <laughs> Well,
3: Doctor Watson, what happened next? Well, I think I'll pick up the story exactly where I left off. Holmes and I were standing in Mark Humphrey's dressing room, looking with horror at the slashed throat of the actor-manager. There was a bitter, self-accusing note in Holmes's voice.
4: I promised him a solution to his troubles before tonight was over. Little did I think that solution would be death. This
3: worry over his supposed madness. Caused him to commit suicide.
4: Suicide rubbish, old fellow. It's murder. Look at the razor cuts in his hand. And that was replaced there by the murderer before rigor Mortis had a chance to set in. In any case, scrutinize the wound. Does that look as if it had been done by the hand of a suicide? Oh, I don't see. Why not? Look closer, old chap. The depth of the wound is even, whereas a suicide cut always wavers towards the end. No, this is murder, Watson, and I think I know who did it. But I, uh, I have little evidence I must lay a trap. What
3: kind of a trap, Holmes?
4: I haven't time to tell you now, old fellow. Every moment counts. Off with you to Scotland Yard and get Inspector Gregson. Bring him back here as fast as you can. That you are. And Watson. Yes? Tell absolutely no one except Gregson of Mark Humphrey's death. And say that he's still alive and well and that his problems are solved. It's the performance of the player. Don't you worry about that, old chap. Off with you to Scotland Yard.
0: I'm sorry it took so long to find me, Dr. Watson. I was out on another case, Oh, you know. that's all right, Inspector. Performance, if there is one, must be nearly over by now. Here's the stage door, sir. Yes, yeah, here we are. Here, here, you can't go on this stage. Who says I can't? I'm Inspector Gregson of Scotland Yard. Oh, sorry. Performance is going on. I wonder who the devil's playing Sweeney Todd. Come along, come on. Let's, let's stand here in the wings.
4: There's impossible. <laughs> There's Mark <laughs> Humphreys on the stage. I saw
0: him with his throat cut. I don't believe in ghosts, Doctor. <laughs> Great heavens, it, <laughs> it's Holmes. It's Holmes. It's
4: Holmes.
0: It's Holmes. Who's this? Ah, you, Mrs. Humphries. Somebody
3: seems to cut their throat for a pity. Or you'll find. Don't really talk to Dr. Harry and you'll cut their throat, too. He'll revenge you while you burn down there in hell, dearie. He'll revenge you. ha, 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 ha
0: Here, here he comes, our Gregson? Amazing disguise.
4: I never recognized him. You're both here.
0: Holmes, and what are you up to?
4: Surely that's apparent I disguised myself as the dead man, hoping to force the murderer's hand.
0: You're running (laughs) a terrible risk, Mr. Holmes. Out of my
4: profession, Gregson. Here comes Signor Vanelli, the musical director.
0: Dear fellow, I had to leave the orchestra pit to come and congratulate you. Never have you given a finer performance. Bravissimo, bravissimo. Thank you, thank you.
4: But
0: it is true. You hardly seem the same person. Your performance is incomparable. Keep it up, Mark. Keep it up. I think he spotted you, Holmes.
4: Uh, yes, sir. I didn't like his look as he said that. Well, whoever it is, they've got to show their hand soon. going up in the last scene. Keep your eyes open and suspect everyone. My Lord judge, he will by your side. Do not do it, when your remnant
0: lobe is stained with blood. <laughs> Sweeney ah! Todd, what dark
4: deed, tested on your conscience. As a dark, foul deed, but heed not what you hear, Lord judge, nor what you see. Still the figure sit there. I hear it come to this. It is useless to deny my guilt. The very dead rise from their settlements to prove Sweeney Todd a murderer.
0: Oh, George, what an actor he'd have made, Doctor Yes, what an actor he is, Gretchen I'll be
3: hanged if I know how he remembers the lines, though Even if he has seen the play half a dozen times Here he comes now Bravo, Holmes He did
4: splendidly But it didn't work, Watson it. it didn't work, confound it the Murderer still hasn't dipped his hand have I underestimated him? Looks as if you have, sir.
0: And if you don't mind my
4: saying so, I think you'd have been a lot wiser to let
0: me handle the case as soon as you found his body. Instead of going in for all this uh, dressing-up stuff. Oh, but of course.
4: Now I see it. Only one person could have killed Mark Humphreys. Who, oh, Holmes? Um, Do as I see and I'll show you. I'm going to Humphreys' dressing room now, alone. Give me a few moments, start, and then follow me. Out of sight, but within earshot. shot.
0: Dr. Watson, why does Mr. Holmes always have to be so blooming mysterious? Why can't he just say who the murderer is and take us to him? Well,
3: well I've been with Mr. Holmes on a great many cases, Gregson, and yet I can't answer that question. Come along. you have got a big enough start now. Let's follow him. I'm
0: very really fond of Mr. Holmes, you know, Doctor, and yet there are times when I get so angry with him, he shouldn't risk his life like that. No, you know, Mr. Holmes, he will never change. And well, if he don't, one of these days he's going to wake up and find himself dead. Shh, <laughs> the door. Someone inside with him. You devil, Humphreys!
3: How many times do I have to kill you?
4: Great Scottish Derek Lindsay, the business manager. Come along, Gregson. No, Lindsay! You succeeded in killing Humphreys, but you won't kill me. Grab his arm. Look out for that razor. hear you. Ah, let's go of it. Oh, you no. do Ah, very neat, Gregson. Are you all right, Holmes? Perfectly, thanks, old chap, though I'm a little tired. Uh, Gregson, my dear fellow, will you take over from here? I think I've had enough melodrama for one day. Our pleasant Watson, the back of Baker Street again, a cracking fire. My dressing gown and your company combined to make a soothing ending for a somewhat violent day.
3: In a most unusual case, Holmes, I still don't entirely understand it. The original plot, of course, was to try and drive Mark Humphreys mad by making him think that he was a murderer. That
4: accounts for the boots and the blood razor. Precisely, my dear fellow. And the killer, having conditioned his victim by this trickery, then murdered him, trying to make it appear a suicide. Now, who had a motive?
3: Three people, Mrs. Humphreys, her lover, Signor Vanelli, and Derek Lindsay. I must say that I suspected
4: the wife. So did I for a while, and yet it was illogical. She knew, and we may therefore presume that her lover knew, and that I was suspicious of her. And she must
3: have known that you promised her husband a solution to his troubles before the night was out. It seems highly improbable that she or Signor Vanelli would have faked his suicide at that point.
4: Quite right, my dear fellow. So I investigated Derek Lindsay's affairs, and I found that what Humphreys had referred to as the Kindly act for a friend in helping him back onto his feet was in reality the mortgaging of his entire theatrical effects. Lindsay stood to inherit the theatre on Humphrey's death. Therefore, I was convinced that he was the killer. And
3: well, then, after he'd murdered him, he saw what he thought to be Mark Humphrey's on the
4: stage. Ah, that's where I was slow and stupid, old chap. I couldn't imagine what motive gave the cold, clear nerve to suppress all reactions when he saw his supposed victim revived on the stage. Only at that moment did I realise.
3: What was the motive mm. that made him hold his hand?
4: The characteristic that ruled his life, Watson. Avarice. A morbid love of money. You see, if he'd attacked me during the performance, he'd have had to refund the money to the audience. His greed conquered all other passions. It made him wait until the performance was finished before he attempted my life.
3: You know, Holmes, um, now the case is solved, I'll tell you something in, in confidence.
4: Please do, old well, fellow. What is At it? At the
3: end of the play tonight, I was afraid that you
4: uh,
3: made a mistake, that you were tough on the case. Uh, Nixon thought so, too. And
4: uh, I, Watson, will tell you something in confidence. Oh, what is it? <laughs> there were three of us that felt the same way. Now you're being modest, no? Oh, 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 oh. I assure you one, my dear chap. In fact, in the future, if it should strike you that I am more well, getting a little overconfident of my powers, or uh, perhaps uh, giving less pains to a case than it deserves, kindly whisper, Sweeney, in my ear, will you? I shall be infinitely obliged to you.
2: Doctor, that was a swell story. And, and a pretty narrow escape for Holmes.
3: Yeah. He said he almost solved the case too late. Fortunately, it ended well.
2: Mm-hmm. The thing that sticks in my mind is the fact that this was one of the very rare occasions when Holmes almost made a serious mistake. Well,
3: we all make mistakes at times, don't we? Doctor, I said we, we all make mistakes at times.
2: Mm, I suppose so. You mean to stand there and tell me that you never make a mistake? Well, not when it comes to choosing a wine, I don't, because I always choose Patrick. Bartell, you bet me again. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. But honestly, Doctor, well, Dr. Watson, do you care to give us a clue about next week's Sherlock Holmes well, adventure? Well, let me
3: see. Next week, Mr. Bartell, next week now. Yes, I'm going to tell you a colorful story that took place in the Parisian Circus in 1890. It concerns a very gorgeous personage, a Lady Bareback Rider, and... Uh,
1: Death. Thank you all so much for listening and have a great Monday. See you Wednesday.